Coming up on Garden Talk. This current grow, I just switched to Gaia Green, and I'm loving it. I love the dry amendments. I love just amending my soil, and you leave it alone for whatever, three weeks, and you top dress or you transplant, and you amend it again. I've seen a lot of guys use uh, the clear solo cups, and they'll put that inside another solo cup, so that then they can just pull it out and just to see how the roots are. Water your plants 12 hours in advance, he said. It helps loosen them up. And that way you can bend them a little bit easier. Once I get to the vegetative stage, I'm able to start getting into a routine. When I'm watering, when am I feeding, uh, you know, when am I training? I think my, with the flowering, I, I'm never sure how much to feed. That's That's been my one of my main problems. Be patient. <laughs> you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make lots of them. <laughs> Just don't freak out if things aren't going right. What's up, everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Groat, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk podcast. This is episode number 39. In this episode, I interview the rookie grower. He has been gardening for three years, and he has experience with both organics and synthetics. In this episode, we focus on beginner gardening. We talk about problems that you may face while gardening, as well as solutions to those problems. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast or Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of today's episode who helped make that goal possible. A big supporter of this podcast is Spider Farmer. They sponsored this podcast and I use their LED grow lights. Spider Farmer now has a bar style series of LED grow lights. They have the SE3000, a four bar fixture for a three foot by three foot grow space. The SE5000, a six bar fixture for a four foot by four foot grow space. And the SE7000, an eight bar fixture for a five foot by five foot grow space. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer down in the description section below. And you can use discount code MrGrowAt5 during checkout for discount on their products. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this podcast. They sent me over their grow tent, which has a canvas density of 2000D, making them the thickest grow tent on the market today. It has an aluminum plate that mounts your controller to the grow tent with a lightproof pass-through for cable routing. The frame has 50% thicker steel poles and carries two times more weight than the standard grow tents. Coupon code MrGrowIt will get you a discount on their products, and I'll leave a link to their website down in the description section below. Dutch Pro is a sponsor of the podcast. Coupon code MrGrowIt10DP will get you a discount on their products. They are a plant fertilizer company that has been around for over 30 years. They originated in Amsterdam, and their nutrients are available in several countries across the world. They have everything needed for proper plant nutrition, from base nutrients to additives and pH regulators. I will leave a link to Dutch Pro's Amazon store down in the description section below. And don't forget to use coupon code MrGrowIt10DP for a discount on their products. And we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with the Rookie Grower. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> I'm going to get into some beginner gardening type stuff today. So super excited yeah. for this one. You know, on the podcast, I know you tune in every now and then. A lot yeah. of intermediate, advanced style stuff. So I definitely want to have an episode where we kind of bring it back and get to, back to the basics, back to the fundamentals, you know. I have a lot of people that watch me that are new to growing, right? They're on their first grow, second grow. I get people all the time that comment and say, I just planted my seeds, you know, what do I do next type thing? Or <laughs> a lot of people ask me, what problems will I run into 
And that's kind of what we're going to get into today. I thought that would be a good episode to talk about problems that frequently occur when gardening. And not only that, but solutions, you know, what you can do to prevent those problems from happening in the future. So thought you'd be a good candidate to have on here today. But before we actually get into the nitty gritty of things, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into gardening? Uh, sure. So as uh, you all know, I'm TRG. Uh, my name is Mark. <laughs> I'm uh, Canadian. Uh, I'm a medical uh, license holder. And I started growing around uh, three years ago when it was legalized in Canada. And uh, in my spare time, I work on my YouTube channel. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so once it was legalized, I started uh, realizing that I could grow for myself as I needed medicine just like everybody else. And as we all know, it can get quite pricey when you're, uh, when you're buying it. <laughs> so I decided to start growing for myself. And uh, I did my first grow. <laughs> and uh, it actually went very well. I got about eight ounces off four plants. And I figured that was pretty good for my first grow. So I figured, hey, this is easy. I got this locked up. <laughs> nah. <laughs> so I went into my second grow. Yeah, nah. <laughs> I got like maybe four ounces and it, it wasn't very good. It wasn't very good at all. So I got a little bit discouraged and I said, well, let's do it again. Did a third one. Still, no. <laughs> still making mistakes, still screwing up. So I was starting to get frustrated this time. So by that time, I'm kind of like, well, what am I going to do? And through all these grows so far, it's just been autos that I've been doing. I haven't done any photos yet. So I decided I was going to try photos because I read that they are a little bit more accepting to mistakes and, you know, you're stressing out the plant and they have time to recover from that stuff. So that's when I decided to finally try photos and lo and behold, they went through fine. <laughs> I had a couple of plants that looked stressed out, but I ended up getting 11 ounces off them and uh, it was a fairly decent grow. So now I'm into my second grow for, uh, for photos and uh, it's going very well, actually. Awesome. Awesome. So what, what would you say your overall grow style is? I mean, are you an indoor grower, outdoors? Do you grow in soil or cocoa or hydroponics? Uh, my grow style, I, I am an indoor grower. I've tried outdoors. That went horrible. <laughs> so when I did that, I decided to so look at just focus on the indoor, focus on the basics, get the basics down, and then we'll worry about the outdoors after. So, so besides that, I grow in soil. I like to get just a basic soil with some of them with the uh, mycorrhizae in it. Um, I do my dry amendments in it, and yeah, that's about it. It's just in soil. I've started in soil. I like soil, and I'm not saying I'm never going to try anything else, but uh, I don't know. DWC scares the hell out of me. <laughs> so indoor grower, tell us a little bit about your current grow setup. I mean, what size grow space are you working in? What do you got for lighting? Do you have any automation, so on and so forth? Uh, well, my current grow, I'm growing in a 4x4 tent, and I have a CMH15. I'm <laughs> still rocking that thing. And I got a uh, unit farm UF3000 that they sent to me to try out. So that's my light system. And uh, I just set up blue mats. I got into the watering automation and um, I'm kind of liking that. And I know you just started it, so I don't know how you're liking them so far. <laughs> yeah, I've been using them for uh, a couple years now, actually, on and off oh, a little okay. bit. Yeah, I, I yeah. used them a while back. I had some issues yeah. with overwatering. I think I, I think the medium was just too saturated. And then, then I added the blue mats in, so it's kept that saturation rate, which was like too much. Yeah. So kind of getting into problems, I mean, it's a perfect transition. Yeah. You know, one of the yeah. first things is watering that we want to talk That's about right. when we talk about problems. And, you know, blue mats definitely can be a, a hands-off thing. I actually yeah. just installed blue mats this morning on my current grow. And I watered the plant a couple days ago. So I got it nice and saturated the way I like it, not oversaturated. Yeah. But 
waited a day or two and then sucked the blue mats in there. And now I'm at the point where I'm going to, you know, doing those little adjustments to make yeah. sure I'm that's dialed in and not, it's not just dripping down more than it needs to. So, yeah, yeah. I'm in the same stage. I'm, I'm adjusting small adjustments, you know, watching the drip and making sure it's not dripping too much. What about other problems with watering? I mean, you were doing hand watering before this. Do you have anything to kind of talk about with uh, problems of watering? I was just horrible. I'm a, I'm a horrible waterer. <laughs> I went from overwatering to underwatering back to overwatering. I'm like, man, what am I doing? I just, I just, this current grow, I just killed six seedlings because <laughs> I just, I sprayed them too much. I'm like, what am I doing? Come on. But I kind of, I'm happy that that happened because I kind of lit a fire under my butt to say, you know what? Let's start getting a little bit more serious about this because, and I can see it now. Now it's getting better. My grow is looking fantastic right now. And, uh, but yeah, again, my mostly I've been overwatering. That's <laughs> my biggest problem. It's so easy to overwater, and you know, it you, is. <laughs> we can we, you can talk about the whole finger technique in there. You know, yeah. your first uh, finger knuckle down. Yeah. If it's completely bone dry at that point, yeah. then there's watering, and then lifting the grow pot to check the weight. You know, there are different yeah. techniques you can do, but particularly in the solo po- solo cups, it's so easy to just overwater those plants. And yeah. unfortunately, if you if you stunt the plant within the first seven days of, of grow like you could literally plant new seeds and those new seeds would grow faster Surpass, than the stunted yeah. plants so there has been grows where i've overwatered solo cups and had to start over you know it's some people <laughs> would say just start over at that point but yeah it, it can certainly be tricky on that yeah. i seem to do better once i get into the bigger pots and then i'm able to water and judge better but it's the small ones that throw me off well, I like to use I like uh, I like using a turkey baster. It's just a small turkey baster, and uh, one or two squirts, and that's it. And then I just leave it alone for four or five days and check on them. Yeah, that's a good technique. And I know yeah. you know if you're starting in the bigger pots, kind of watering directly around the seedling and just yeah. kind of doing that circular motion, that's helpful as well. Because certainly, if you just have a seedling within the first week or two and you're in a five gallon container, for example, or a larger container, yeah. you don't need to soak the whole grow pot. You know what I mean? You'd be spending exactly, exactly. seven, 10, 14 days for that thing to dry out. And yeah. you could easily stunt the plant if, if that medium's oversaturated. So yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. What else with watering? Anything? Uh, well, again, like I said, I went from overwatering to underwatering where I was waiting too long in between and then they were drying out too much. So that was kind of a problem. <laughs> I corrected it and I started overwatering again. So <laughs> I feel like underwatering is you know less less impactful. I mean, you, you'll yeah. see the droop and you, you yeah. easily recover off of it. Luckily, yeah. depending on how old the plant is and so on and yeah. so forth. You know, if you have a small seedling, that could, the medium dries up, the whole thing could die. You know, the, the whole plant yeah. could die pretty pretty easily there. If you have a larger plant, you know, in the vegetation stage, you know, you see that major droop to the point where, you know, you might open up your grow tent once the light comes on and it looks like the plant's dead, but you water it. And, you know, a couple hours later, it's back up to normal. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it can totally be be tricky, but with a little bit of practice, you can definitely dial things in. I have been, um, you know, I've grown in solo cups to start four inch nursery pots. So they're even a little bit smaller than uh, solo cups. I'm finding myself planting now in one gallon containers more and more, just starting out in one gallon containers. You know, there's just, it's, it seems to be a little bit more beneficial in my opinion. I mean, you know, I'm able to have that initial saturation to the way I like it at the transplant less, you know what I mean? In a sense, not as, I would say not as often, but t- it takes me a little while till I have to actually transfer comparison to a, when I'm in a solo cup, 
at the transmit sooner is what I'm trying to say. I just tried putting, starting them, and that's the ones I killed. I started them in the one gallons, and uh, I killed them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because I was thinking the same lines as you. I said, well, I'd rather start it in the one gallon and give it more room for the roots to expand right away, you know, instead of these little solo cups and waiting for it to – but it didn't work out. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, you know, a little bit of practice and experience, you yeah. You figure it out, you know? For sure, for sure. (laughs) Now, how about nutrients? I mean, feeding nutrients is another thing where people have a lot of problems with. Are you a bottle grower or you do organics? Um, You know, what problems have you come across there? I started at bottles and I always felt like I was underfeeding. They always looked faded. They always, you know, I just, I found I wasn't feeding them enough. And probably just because I didn't know when they were supposed to be fed, right? And... So this just this, this current grow, I just switched to Gaia Green, and I'm loving it. I love the dry amendments. I love just amending my soil, and you leave it alone for whatever, three weeks, and you top dress or you transplant, and you amend it again. So, But uh, this is probably the best my grow has ever looked since I started. So I really love the Gaia Green. I think a problem with the dry amendments that people come across a lot is they, well, they switch from bottles to the dry amendments, and they don't realize that the medium should be saturated at all times. That you don't have that dry out period that often people do with synthetics, right? You normally, right. you would water the pot, let the medium dry out, then rewater, like with synthetics. With uh, you know organics, you need that saturation because microbes need to be active. Microbes aren't active; they go dormant into a sleep state if the medium is dry. So having uh, the medium wet. No, not wet. I don't know. Wet's kind of a, a bad word, but saturated, I guess you could say, right? Or maybe even saturated might be might be a, a, a bad word to use. I think moist. Moist is what moist. you're Moist. There we go. Moist. So it's moist to the point where microbes can be active. And even that top layer, right? That's one of the first things. Like if you don't have, if you're in organics and don't have a mulch layer, for example, when that grow light's beaming down on that, one of the first things to dry out is that top layer. And that's where your dry amendments are, right? When you're doing the chop dressing. So spraying the top of the medium in order to keep it moist is a common practice that people do in order to avoid that from happening, you know? Yeah. Something I'm doing now is I'm using rice hulls as a mulch to try and help keep the moisture in the soil. So I find that's been helping. Nice, nice. Yeah, I use barley straw. Also, cover crops is another thing that can be used to kind of help maintain the moisture level down there. Yeah, I I plan on getting into all that stuff. Baby steps, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, it costs you know money and time. I gotta learn. <laughs> yep. Yep. Now, how about pH? You know, ppm, ec. You know, back when you would, were you doing that stuff when you did synthetic bottle nutrients? Or yeah, I was. I was watching my ppms a lot, and I was watching my my pH. But I had cheap Amazon <laughs> pH pens and ppm pens, so I'm I'm pretty sure that my pH pen kept going off, and I was having a lot of pH issues. Now I just bought uh, what is it, Epera, I think that's the uh, the brand. Yep. I just bought that one, so I'm liking that one so far. Yeah, I have the Epera one. There's actually yeah. several different models for Epera. Yeah. I highly recommend Epera as well rather than those cheap ones. And also definitely recommend keeping your pH meter in storage solution. Yes, you know, absolutely. those those probes will dry out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're spending $75 on a pH exactly. pen, and it's dead within a year because you don't put it in storage solution. Well, wow. you could try to claim the warranty on it, you know, the one-year yeah. warranty or whatever, but for the most, that's still a pain to go through that whole process. Yeah. But keeping it in storage solution is definitely one of those things that I feel like is a must. Well, and that's the thing, right? Because you get the one from Amazon, the cheap one, you don't get no, no kind of solution. So it's just storing whatever. Yep. 
Now, do you check the, were you checking the pH of the nutrient solution going in or the runoff or were you doing a slurry test or how would you kind of track pH? I was doing both. I was making sure my water's pH was 6.3 to 6.5 and then I would check my runoff as well just to make sure this, the try and get the runoff of the, the uh, sorry, the pH of the soil. So that's what I was doing and it was kind of working. I was getting it for a little bit, but it just, it's not my style. <laughs> yeah, it's not. You know, it gives you a general idea of what the pH is, you know, particularly when we're talking about the runoff, right? There have been people who have hit me up in the past that say, you shouldn't be checking runoff. You should be doing a slurry test instead or getting a probe, right? He actually said that uh, checking the runoff was the wrong way to do it, which, (laughs) you know, that's an alternate way to do it. Yeah. (laughs) It's an alternate way to do it. It's going to give you a general idea of, of what the pH is in that in the medium um you can do a slurry test for sure just take some of the medium out of the top of it mix it in with some distilled water then check the ph that way or get one of those probes right those those probe yeah. soil probes that go into the actual soil blue lab has one but they're what like yeah. 165 yeah, they're pretty pricey yeah i think Apira doesn't Apira have one too i think they do yeah i think they might they might have one of I those so. as well now, PPM or EC, were you tracking those at all? Uh, I was watching my PPM for my nutrients when I was mixing my water, and that was about it. I didn't, I don't know much about EC yet. I'm still getting there. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was just monitoring my uh, PPMs and my water. Would you also do a runoff to kind of check check it or, or what? Um, no, that, yeah, that's right. I was checking my runoff for PPMs as well, and I was using that to determine when I should feed, and I don't know if that was the best way to be doing it but the general way to do it a lot of people do it that way i still do yeah. it that way you know i, I don't want to spend a hundred and whatever dollars for that soil yeah. probe to kind of get a more <laughs> accurate way when you know the runoff method that's cheaper way and you can get a general idea of, of what it is so i still do yeah. it but there is a lot of guessing when, when you're doing that right because you have to you know you get that runoff measurement let's say hypothetically it's the runoff's 500 and you're aiming for a thousand so what do you do for your mixture? You have to have a solution. Some people will do a solution that's 1,000 ppm and then put it in there. Well, that's the wrong way to go about it because you already have roughly 500 ppm that's right. in that's your right. medium, right? So you would add it to it. So your ppm coming out should be around 1,500. Now, again, this is just a, you know, it gives you a general range. You could uh, check the runoff and it could be way above that or below that it's really tough and then you have to kind of guesstimate you know because if you're doing that feeding when the soil dries out you got to factor in how many nutrients the plant has uptaken right so if your last runoff measurement was 800 and you let the soil dry out you know three four days later well it's still not going to be it's not going to be 800 at that point right no no, it's uh, used up some of the nutrients that are already in the soil exactly so you got to kind of guesstimate on that avenue. So I see a lot of people running into that as a problem. Wish there was a better solution out there. You know, I wish those probes were cheaper, but yeah. unfortunately, this is kind of where we're at at this point. There'll be something that comes along. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> How about transplanting? You ever had any problems doing transplanting? No, I'm actually not that I'm an expert at it, but I do pretty well at transplanting. Um, no real issues. Uh, I got my method where I just I make my mold in my soil. I, I get my plants or my soil ready ahead of time. I take an empty container and I put, put the soil in around it, and then I just pull out the soil and it just pops right into the hole. So, uh, yeah. Besides that, no real, no real issues. I think a common problem is 
knowing when to transplant. You know, there are some general guides out there. Like if you're in a solo cup, for example, what I've heard multiple times, you know, what I've heard and kind of go by sometimes is this, the earliest to transplant is when the leaves kind of reach the cup. Yeah. I feel like grow and they re- they reach the uh, outer edges of the cup. I feel like that's the earliest time you should transplant. You know, let it grow. More than that, you could have a, a more dense root ball that helps keep that medium uh, compact. I have come across, I've transplanted before where I go to transplant and all of a sudden it, the medium crumbles up because yeah. the root zone isn't established. <laughs> you know, so kind of knowing when to transplant, I, I feel like can be difficult. And I've popped plants out of, you know, slowly, gently brought it out to see if there was a root zone that's developed and then yeah. kind of, I say, oh no, not really want to be it, slide it back in. So you can certainly yeah. do that if you're a beginner and, and you're not really sure if the, the root ball has developed or not. I've seen a lot of guys use uh, the clear solo cups and they'll put that inside another solo cup. So that then they can just pull it out and just to see if the, how the roots are. That's a great, great call out right there. Yeah, having that clear cup within another cup uh, it is important to have the just not have a clear cup because mm-hmm. light hitting the roots no bueno that's right. uh, not good mm-hmm. at all um and also algae's a thing that people can come across as well right if light penetrates down there and it's you know saturated medium algae can certainly grow so yeah there's two reasons why i kind of have a dark container i know i was looking at thc titan's instagram page and this was several months ago and some company made white fabric grow pots and the thing oh, okay. was just loaded with algae all around because yeah. the light was piercing through that grow pot. Yeah. You know, so that's that's a yeah. huge – I don't even know why the company made made a white uh, grow pot. They weren't thinking or something. But, but yeah, that, those are a couple problems that happen with, with transplanting that I, I've come across or, or seen. Yeah, that's a little weird to, to go white. Yeah. <laughs> Now, how about training plants? A lot of people do training, whether it be, you know, topping, low stress training, you know, super yeah. topping. What training do you do and what problems have you kind of come across? Uh, in the past, I mostly just, just gently bent them over. I used to call it super cropping, but somebody told me, no, that's not super cropping. So I wasn't super cropping. <laughs> but I tried with the tie downs and uh, what else was I trying? I think that's all I tried before. Oh, I, I tried topping, but I didn't do a lot of topping. I just topped a couple. This grow that I'm doing now, now I've topped. I topped like <laughs> almost every one that came up. So this is the first time I'm really topping, and I have uh, canopy clips, which I'm using to spread out the plant, which they're, they're great. I recommend them for anybody. Canopy clips are awesome. You know, and that way you don't have to worry about tying it down with wires and stuff like that. So I like those canopy clips. Problems that I've come across, well, snapping branches, I think, you know, when you're low stress training, snapping that branch, that's usually a heartbreaker. You know, manipulating the, the top part of the branch is one way to go about it. Usually the top part of the branch is a little bit softer. I know if you bring your temps real low, you know, real low, the 60s degree Fahrenheit in the 50s, those branches will kind of harden up. Less chances of being able to manipulate those plants, you know, bend those mm-hmm. plants without them snapping. Um, so yeah. make sure your, your temperatures are in check. It would be a good solution. When tying down, I use the wire ties, and I have like mm-hmm. a clip that kind of clips the pot, and then use the wire ties. I had there has been times where I've actually you know tied it down, and the branch grew into the tie. Yeah, I've seen that too. Yeah, yeah. So I've I've had that happen before. I try to do just a loop around, so I don't actually like tie like. Yeah, it's just kind of like a little hook. Yeah, yeah, kind of <laughs> yeah. hook. But even if yeah. it's wrapped around twice, it'll kind of unwind. You know what yeah. I mean? Versus you know, like a bread, like when you're tying, uh, doing like a bread tie, 
yeah. um, you know, twisting it together. So I, I avoid twisting it together at all costs in order to try to pre- prevent the branch from growing yeah. into the tie. Something else I've seen other guys starting to use is, uh, I think they're called, uh, uh, I can't remember now, grass clips or something like that. They're about three inches long. And that's all you do is you just push it down into the soil with the branch in it, and it just pushes it down instead of using the ties, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah, those. I can't I remember what they're them. called. Yeah. Now, do you do any super cropping at all or no? I tried. <laughs> like I said, the guy, uh, one guy told me that I was doing it wrong, and I guess I was because he was saying you got to do that big pinch and you got to get it to bend over. I wasn't doing that. I was just gently <laughs> bending them over. But uh, the tip that he did give me was to water your plants 12 hours in advance, he said. It helps loosen them up, and that way you can bend them a little bit easier. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one as well. And then silica as well will help with yes. kind of branch manip- manipulation if you're using silica. definitely helps when training plants. Yeah, I got silica in there right now. Nice, nice. Yeah, I've been using it for IBM. How about controlling environment? You know, easier said than done, right? I mean, oh, I remember the got... first time I ever set up a grow tent. You know, I thought it was going to be easy to get the temperature mm-hmm. stable. I thought it was going to be easy to get the humidity where I wanted it to be. And then you <laughs> add in the exhaust fan, and all of a sudden it sucks out all the humidity out of the tent. Or yeah, exactly. All the heat right? out of the tent, or you put your, your HPS grow light in there, and the, yeah. the temperature skyrockets. You know, what do you do to control the environment to kind of help stabilize your conditions? Uh, the biggest thing that I, well, I just upgraded my exhaust fan. I ended up buying an AC Infinity uh, T6. So that thing's amazing. One punch of a button and you can control your environment. This is the most control I've ever had over my environment. But I'm pretty lucky where I am because my relative humidity is roughly around 60% in my house anyways. So the only thing I'm using right now is a humidifier. I don't use a dehumidifier. I don't use a heater. I don't use AC. I don't have to use any of that stuff. So just my natural environment just is very ideal for what I'm doing. So uh, besides that, uh, lots of fans. I got all these different fans that I use uh, iPad uh, stands. So that way I can put them at different levels. And you just plop the fan on top of it. So I got about four or five fans going to keep the airflow and just I have one blowing right on the lights to try and reduce the, the temperature. And yeah, that's about it really. Uh, oh, and I, I have a fan blowing air into my tent through the, uh, through the vent. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely some uh, good techniques in order to help control the environment. I also have the AC Infinity fan uh, in my I fan. Love it. It's such a game changer, isn't it? It is. It is. <laughs> oh, it's awesome. I have you know certain set points. So when the temperature reaches, I think I have one set to 82 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. Uh, once it reaches that, it'll start to you know the fan will slowly turn on. Yeah. And then ex- some exhaust some of that hot air, you know, and exchange the air as well. Obviously, if it's yeah. removing some of the air, yeah. and then once it, the temperature drops down, because the air coming in from the intake vent on my grow tent. It's cooler. It's cooler, so yeah. it does drop it. Humidity, I live in a very dry environment, so I do have humidifier. I have humidifier in my tent. I have humidifier outside of my tent in order to try to make sure that the air coming into the tent is of the proper humidity. Now, back in the day, I used to struggle because, you know, my natural humidity is 20 30%, yeah. you know? So <laughs> it's like even if, if I only have a humidifier inside my grow tent, well, that's fine. It'll it'll boost it up to where it needs to be. But once that inline fan kicks on AC Infinity, yep. well, it's there bringing it in twenty yep. to thirty percent humidity. You know, so yep. having making sure that I have a humidifier outside, just in my grow room, yeah, as right well, in the long run. is definitely helpful for sure. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. To have one in your lung room that helps out. Lung room, yeah, that's what I mean yeah. by that. Yep. How about the seedling stage? Any problems in particular? We'll go through the different stages. <laughs> we'll start with seedling, then we'll go into veg, then we'll go into flowering. Yeah. Well, seedling stage. Besides, I kill them. <laughs> that's that's about it. I don't know. It's just I struggle with it. I struggle at the beginning. I don't know why yet. But I guess because they're they're so fragile, right? You can, it doesn't take much to kill them. So I'm, I'm still learning. So hopefully. I'll get that under control. <laughs> yeah, I've had problems with frying seedlings, you know, yeah. particularly with HPS. You know, back yeah. in the day when I was running HPS, I, you know, having that light too close, yeah. you know, I used to think the more light the better. Well, uh, yeah. no, it'll die. <laughs> so I fried seedlings before because I had the light too close. Also, on the flip side, having the temperature of the medium too low has hindered mm-hmm. seedling growth, right? So particularly yeah. in wintertime, you know, if you're putting your solo cups, for example, if you're putting them on the ground or actually any yeah. container on the ground, you could come across where the medium is too low in temperature. Yeah. It slows down microbial growth, slows down growth just entirely, right? So that has definitely hindered growth. I know a lot of people are basement growers. A common mistake for basement growers is they put it directly on the ground, right? And it's just the That's, cold yeah. coldness just completely stunts the plant. I mean, yeah, it gets, it's I really am. bad. I'm in the basement, so that's what I do. Yep. And uh, it gets quite cold where I am. Uh, like, I'm talking minus 30, minus 40 sometimes. So that basement floor is quite cold. <laughs> so what do you do? Uh, I raise them up a little bit. Get them about an inch off the ground. Just so that they got airflow underneath. What do you What do you raise it up with? Uh, I have, like, crates and stuff like that. Whatever is handy. That's whatever I can use to get up off the ground. <laughs> Yeah, I've used like two yeah. by fours before and double. Yeah, little, two by yeah, that works too. Frame, yeah. yeah. How about the vegetation stage? Any problems come to mind for the vegetation? Um, no, not really. That's uh, been one of my stages that I actually do well in. <laughs> but uh, you know, because I, I once I get to the vegetative stage, I'm able to start getting into a routine. When I'm watering, when am I feeding? Uh, you know, when am I training? And that's probably why I like it, because it's more of a routine rather than a seeding stage. It's like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> so, yeah, besides that, I haven't had too many problems with my vegetative stage. The vegetation, you know, arguably is one of the easier stages, you know, in my yeah. opinion. You know, especially if you're growing in a, a soil that is enriched with nutrients already, right? Fox or motion for soil, I mean, that's going to last yeah. you, you know, roughly 30, 40 days, depending on the, the yeah. size of your container. So, you know, once the plant's out of the seedling stage, it's still got plenty of nutrients, right? So, you know, most people aren't doing any sort of feeding all the way up right. until some people go all the way 30, 40 days and then flip the flowers. They don't do any feeding and veg at all. That's so crazy. in my opinion, the veg stage is one of the easier stages. One problem that I can think of is knowing when to flip to flower because, you know, just the fact that you don't know how long, how much it's going to stretch. That's cultivar right. dependent, obviously yeah. your lighting's gonna impact it, your nutrition, all there's so many different variables that are gonna impact growth. I've had plants that were, you know, stretched three times the amount once I flipped to twelve twelve. And, and so I ran out of height, right? So that's the problem, right? It stretched yeah. three times the amount. I wasn't expecting that much of a stretch. Yeah. Now my light's all the way up to the, the top. What do I do? You know, then you're yeah, bending exactly. branches down. Yeah. <laughs> that's a common problem that people actually, you know, reach out to me. They're like, Oh crap, I ran out of space, you know. Yeah. What do I do now? You know, what are the options, right? You're either, uh, you know, pruning those branches off sometimes, right? If you're like week one into stretch or you know you're going to have a couple more weeks of growth. So literally pruning branches off that are the the top branches off is an option at that point. 
uh, without destroying your yield. I don't know, you know, a lot, some people yeah. have yield as their goal, some people don't, but certainly it could be an impact there. You know, the general rule of thumb is just expect the plant to stretch double the amount it is at the time of flip, you know? Yeah, usually for the first three weeks, right? But that's not always the case. You know, you have, yeah. you have cultivars that don't stretch at all. Yeah. I've had cultivars, which I expected them to stretch 2x, and they didn't even, barely even stretch at all. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> stuck with this small plant. I was expecting it to stretch yeah. so much more. And then and then you're stuck at yeah. that point. you got to, yeah. you know, finish growing the plant. Yeah, I have the same problem. I, I'm never quite sure when to flip. I'm always kind of guessing. <laughs> uh, how about flowering? Problems in flowering. What do you got? Uh... I think my, with the flowering, I have, I'm never sure how much to feed. That's That's been my one of my main problems. And I don't know if I was supposed to increase or decrease. Uh, I wasn't sure. But besides that, it's no different than the vegetative stage. Because <laughs> you're still in your routine, right? You're still, the only thing you're not doing is really training anymore. And unless, like you said, that's getting too close to the light. So, yeah, for me, it's just basically when to flip and my feeding schedule. I wasn't sure schedule it can be tricky i mean i've had plants yellow out too early and i think that's a common problem right when plants start to yellow you know week four five and you're like oh crap why is it starting to yellow at this point right (laughs) and that kind of goes back to the fundamentals you know if you're growing Mm -hmm. bottled nutrients you know what's the ph what's the ppm are you in the proper ranges you know that's right if you're organic growing well maybe you didn't top dress enough during yeah. that flip like you should have maybe you're the, the the medium is drying out on the top where your top dressing amendments are and the microbes aren't breaking yeah. them down you know so those are things you got to kind of look at another problem in flowering is you know when you get to the point where you are at week five six seven and they start flopping over right so having yes. support for plants yeah uh, kind of planning ahead on that avenue i mean i used to use tomato cages and okay. I don't know if you've ever tried to put a tomato cage on a plant that's in week six or seven <laughs> in flowering, like yeah. trying to to put it above. It's just it's so yeah, difficult. No. So you know, planning ahead, making sure you have like a trellis net, for example. A lot of people use trellis yeah. net for support, not just to get a high yield, but using it as support. Stakes yeah. are good to have on hand for support. Some people use those yo-yos. And they hang yeah. them from above and they come down and, and help support those branches above. Some people use like those bamboo stakes and they'll, they'll kind of square them in, similar to how a tomato cage is. So there's so many different ways you can go uh, when it comes to supporting your plants and make sure the branches stay upright. And also, you know, other things to look at calcium, you know, silica can help with, with the cell structure and, and mm-hmm. keeping plants upright. Um, but yeah, I think that's a common problem is, is plants flopping all over the place towards the end of flowering. Yeah, yeah, I had that problem last time too. It was uh, they were falling over, so I was tying little strings from the corners to the to, to the plants and trying to get them to stay up. And they were still. You know. <laughs> I guess that's a good problem, right? It means they're getting heavy. So. Yeah, I've had branches like snap too. It's yeah, like, really. Yeah, wow. snap completely, and it's like what the heck. So I had to harvest at that time. Yeah, oh, wow. it was a pretty pretty clean snap too. It's like yeah. you know you could try to tape it up, but this one wasn't wasn't able to recover at that point. So um, wow. What about lighting? I know lighting's a huge one. I mean, with these new grow lights, people are burning their plants. People don't know yeah. what the correct light distance is with the dimmer and yeah. stuff. Have you come yeah, across I... any problems with lighting and like light distance and all that stuff? Um, just uh, trial and error. Was learning where to put my light. Because, like I said, I'm still rocking the CMH, so I don't have a dimmer on it. Uh, so I'm just going by measuring how far it is and just looking at how the, res- the plants are responding to it. If they're looking a little bit droopy or looking a little stressed, then it's well, time to raise the light a bit. Or if you see they're starting to stretch, well, maybe it's time to lower the light a bit. 
I feel like it's easier in that sense yeah. growing with HID, whether it be HPS, MH, or CMH, uh, yeah. is like distance because yeah. it's pretty pretty standard in a sense, right? Like, was it yeah. 12 to 14 inches for flowering, yeah. 18 to 20 yeah. inches 24, for veg, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, 24 to 36 inches for seedlings. Yeah. And that's pretty standard, you know? It's LED, I mean, you gotta worry about the, the dimmer if you wanna use that, yeah. and then also the, the distance on top of that, so. I actually have a whole video on kind of how to determine light distance using the dimmer on your grow light. Okay. So uh, if you guys want to check that out on my channel, just search for it and you'll you'll find it and gives you some additional tips on what you can do to uh, dial in that light distance. So. Nice. Yeah, no, I was just going to say I, I'm, I will be having those kind of problems because I am upgrading my lights. <laughs> yep. Soon enough, you'll, yeah. you'll face it. <laughs> yeah, it's coming. <laughs> Yeah, light burning is like just the number one thing. I mean, people are just yeah. they're putting their grow lights too close, too high of intensity. Yeah, and it's just it looks like other it looks like other issues too. Like it looks like calcium deficiency. A lot of people mistake mm -hmm. it for. Um, yeah. Really, it's just you're you're burning your plants. You know, calcium deficiency. You'll see the rust spotting. You know, on the leaves, you'll kind of see that only kind of be a different pattern with the light burn. But you'll notice it more on the top part of the plant, and you also you notice like more yellow margins on the leaves and like the leaves will, you know, potentially start curling, you know, up, yeah. up or down, like burnt, st uh, looking burnt in a sense. That's kind of how you uh, know you have light burn versus calcium deficiency. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah. Now, how about pests? Any problems with pests? Uh, the only biggest problem I've had so far, knock on wood, because <laughs> yeah, I know it's, it's going to come, it's going to happen. So the only problem I've had is with fungus gnats. And uh, what I use for IPM is, uh, like I said, I use uh, diatomaceous earth. What I like to do on it, just a top dress. I've seen guys put it right all over their flowers. I don't know if that's the right way to do it or not. But When do you apply the diatomaceous earth on the medium? Um, usually, I, I amended it when I first amended my, my uh, soil when I was first starting. And then when I transplanted, I did it again. So probably when I top dress, I might do it again. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, fungus gnats is something I battle with as well. You know, once in a while, uh, I feel like those are one of the easiest pests uh, to get rid of. I mean, yeah. number one, yellow sticky traps is what I usually mm -hmm. use and have those by the medium so you can kind of see if you have the problem. That's um, right. You know, and then letting the medium dry out is another way to go about it, you know, particularly with the with synthetic nutrients, right? You, yes. you can have the medium kind of dry out and then the fungus gnats go away in my experience. And sometimes you need to let the medium dry out multiple times before they truly go away because you got the eggs hatching down there and all that stuff. Now, when you're with the or organics, you know, people would argue that you, you should never have the medium dry out. However, if you're in a desperate situation to where you've exactly. got an infestation of fungus gnats and they're destroying your plant, well, then yeah. you might want to, you know, last you ditch, last ditch effort. You might want to <laughs> let that medium dry out or do yeah. the diatomaceous earth like, like you do, yeah. which I, I haven't used myself. I heard it's extremely effective. It is, yes. I recommend it for anybody. Any other problems with pests at all? I know you've been growing um, for about three years, I believe you said. Three years. And no, that's been about it. Uh, there's one time I thought I had spider mites, but I didn't. I was just <laughs> being foolish. <laughs> it was actually a mold from a mushroom, my, mycelium, sorry, mycelium. <laughs> it's like, everybody's like, no, no, that's not fungus, or it's not uh, spider mites, it's just mycelium. Yep, yep. <laughs> Now, how about harvesting? Any problems with harvesting? What do you usually do for harvesting? Uh, harvesting, I uh, I usually chop my plant down a hole. I don't do individual branches, and I hang it up like that. 
And just this past rose, when I first start, I started using, um, I hang it in my tent. So, and I found that gave me a lot more control over my environment that way, instead of hanging it in a utility uh, closet with, you know, no fans, no humidifier or anything like that. So, I, I got a good dry out of it the last time. I probably got about 14 days, a good two weeks. So, I was quite pleased with that. But besides that, it's just uh, after that, then I do individual branches of just trimming and I trim with the scissors. I don't have any fancy machines. <laughs> I do the old-fashioned trimming. And I, I, I enjoy trim jail just like everybody else. <laughs> I think a common problem with harvesting is folks don't know when to harvest or they harvest too early. You know, yeah. I mean, investing in that microscope yeah. to see the color, the trichomes is Absolutely. definitely a beneficial. And now most of the time, a lot of folks have good smartphones where you can yeah. take a close up picture of the plant, uh, of the bud, and then zoom into that picture to see yeah. the color of the trichomes. So I can do that on my phone. I have the, the Pixel 5. My uh, roommate has a Samsung. His actually, I, I think, looks better than mine. I'm sure yeah. Apple iPhone is stellar camera on that one. So a lot of people don't even need the mic microscope anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah, I got the same. I got the Samsung, and it has an incredible camera. It's unbelievable. Yeah, so microscopes are about to be obsolete when it comes to I think so. checking the trichomes soon, huh? I think so, yeah. Uh, but knowing when to harvest, I mean, you know, the color of the trichomes is, is something that people look at. Mostly cloudy is what I aim for. Yep. At that point, there is some amber in there. Some people look for yep. a certain percentage of amber. I don't really go by that. I mean, I think when the trichomes are mostly cloudy, there might be, you know, 10% amber or something like that. Yeah. But it really comes down to personal preference on when you want to harvest, in my oh, opinion. Oh, for sure. For sure, for sure. And that's generally what I look at. I look about for 80 to 20, 80% to 20%. Roughly, it's, you know, whatever happens. Sometimes you just have to, like you said before, sometimes you just have to harvest and it doesn't matter what the trichomes look like. Now, I know you touched a little bit on drying. Dive a little bit deeper into that. So dry environment, I know I use a grow tent mostly. Yeah. I mean, I've dried in closets before. I've dried in bathrooms before. Dried <laughs> in regular bedrooms before. But yeah. uh, being able to have that proper temperature and humidity during drying as well is arguably just as important, if not more important, than the temperature and humidity when you're growing the plant, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. What do you aim for for temperature and humidity when drying? I, I go with the 60-60 method, 60% humidity, 60% temp. That's, and it, that's what I, how, how I got it the last time, and it was uh, probably the best harvest I've had. More and more people go into the 60-60 route, you know. I generally do 55 to 60% RH, and then I try to get down to 60. You know, room temperature around 70 degrees mm -hmm. Fahrenheit is acceptable for sure. One could argue against 60 degrees versus 70 degrees. Now, we know terpenes evaporate at different temperatures, so one could argue that, hey, if you're drying at 70 degrees, well, then some of those terpenes are evaporating versus you know 60 degrees you're having less terpenes evaporate so I, i've been finding myself trying to get the temp lower and lower to achieve that 60 but i don't really beat myself up you know if no. i'm around 70 it's i start to panic a little bit when i'm at like over 75 you know then i'm like oh great good now i really should be taking actions in order to try to get that temperature down because Again, terpenes are evaporating at different temperatures. You're just losing it and that, that smell and the, the yeah. flavor as well. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then making sure there's air exchange in the environment, yeah. right? So air should be yeah. exchanged, shouldn't be stagnant. I think you mentioned that you have a fan in there to kind mm -hmm. of make sure air is blowing around. 
you can easily if you have stagnant air in there you could easily get mold you know especially if you're running 60 percent rh you know that plus stagnant air that's a recipe of a disaster right there Um, it's happened to me before you know accidentally but making sure there's there's certain exchange now i usually try to grow tent and sometimes I'll keep that grow tent cracked open, okay. so that way you know there is some exchange. I make sure it's yeah. dark as well, right? Light mm-hmm. shouldn't be shining on your plants while they're drying because yeah. light uh, degrades those trichomes, right? Yeah, my, my tent, my four by four, is uh, kind of one of those knockoff ones, so I do have light leaks. <laughs> so I I put a, a blanket over it to block it because I only have one door entrance. So I put a blanket right over it to block it where the zippers are. So it seemed to help last time. How about curing? Last but not least, curing. Another <laughs> thing that I feel is overlooked often. Oh, Have you had any sure. problems with curing? Uh, again, just only problems just from learning, right? It's not because I had any major issues. But uh, I do the cure. I do the, uh, the burping t- uh, twice a day for, for a week and then down to once a day for another week. And then after that, well, I might still burp once here and there, but then you just kind of start just letting them sit and be just let them cure for as long as you can without smoking it. <laughs> I think it's very important to make sure that it's just the humidity is not too much in the container. Yeah. I mean, I highly recommend buying, spending the money to get hygrometers, right? You can get a 12 pack of those little hygrometers, the digital. Yeah, I got some of those. That fit in the jars. We get, I think they're like probably like 20 bucks or something like that for a 12 pack. Yeah. Highly recommend you, you get that and, and monitor yeah. that because if the humidity is too high in the container, mold, mold occurs, yep. you know, and you've ruined your harvest at that point. That's right. So yep. spending the $20 on the hygrometers for your jars, I think is a must, in my opinion. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I got them. I use those as well. <laughs> yep. So what other advice do you have for growers who are just getting started with growing? Uh, what I would say is, uh, first of all, be patient. <laughs> You're going to make a mistake. You're going to make lots of them. And uh, just don't freak out if things aren't going right. Uh, you know, most people start growing and they're following somebody on YouTube, uh, some kind of content creator. Well, reach out to them. Uh, most of them have discords or even just on the videos themselves in the comments. Like, just reach out to them and ask them the question. Uh, there's not too many that don't want to help. That's basically why we're all here, right? Is to help other people learn how to grow. So, uh, yeah, most definitely just be patient and uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, just research, read, (laughs) research, watch, and uh, get a mentor if you can. Uh, That's always helpful to have somebody show you what to do and how to do it. Because uh, (laughs) learning on your own, it's fun, but you make a lot of mistakes. I think that's really great advice. Yeah, you touched on a lot of good, good pieces there for sure. So wrapping things up, how can listeners find you and what do you have upcoming in the future? Well, everybody can find me, obviously, on YouTube as The Rookie Grower. Uh, I'm on Instagram as uh, The underscore Rookie Grower, all underscore, or sorry, all lowercase letters. And I'm also on Twitter, uh, The Rookie Grower, all capital. <laughs> so uh, besides that, what do I have? Come- currently, I'm working on, uh, it's called my Chaotic Run. And it's a, uh, I'm showcasing a breeder. I- I've got a few of them coming up where I'm show- showcasing their cultivars on my channel. And I'm just doing, I just totally dedicated to, to, their, to their cultivars. And so I got two more after this one. And then after that, well, it's on to bigger and better things. Uh, Mr. Grow It Exclusive, I'm expanding my grow room. <laughs> nice. nice. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I will provide a link to the Rookie Grows channel down in the description section below. If you enjoyed this video, click that thumbs up button. Also, drop a comment. Let us know what advice you have for beginners. Also, what problems you've come across and what you've done to combat those problems. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. And, of course, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. I release a new episode every single weekend. Garden Talk with Mr. Grow at Podcast. I just want to take this opportunity to thank you for uh, having me on the show. It was a great honor. I've watched your stuff for quite a while. So it's, uh, it's quite a pleasure to meet you. No problem. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate well, you coming on and uh, no sharing your knowledge with the audience here. So thanks again, and I hope you enjoy the rest <laughs> of your day. Right on. Thank you.